Welcome to the next episode of Physique Science Radio. I'm your host, Lane Norton, along with my co-host, Sohi Lee. Hi, guys. And Dr. Bill Campbell, an associate, an associate professor of exercise science at the University of South Florida, Go Bulls, in Tampa. Uh, Dr. Campbell, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show. Uh, you and I have actually been kind of having regular meetings. I've been trying to get my toe back into research and, and, and getting involved in and uh, some of the stuff you're doing, I'm really excited about it. Um, for our listeners that may not be really familiar with you, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this, can you give us kind of a, a background uh, about you? One, how did you get into lifting? And two, how did you get into academia? Your story is uh, kind of, I don't want to say it's unique because I've heard of other ones, but it is kind of unique and, and uh, I don't want to say funny, but I don't think it's what a lot of people would expect. Sure. Uh, my initial undergraduate degree was in marketing, and my first job out of college was uh, in sales, and I was selling herbicides and pesticides. So my job was to sell products that kill bugs and that kill weeds. And it was at that time, I loved bodybuilding, was into bodybuilding, did a natural bodybuilding show uh, about a two, two years after I graduated from, from my undergraduate degree. And all day long, I'd be, you know, selling chemicals, and I'd be like, I just can't wait to get to the gym. So one, one day, I finally realized, I don't like killing bugs and weeds. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't my passion. So I said, I should probably do something that I actually love to do and would do for free anyway. So that's when I decided the, the best way for me to do that is to go back to school, which I did. And that was a pretty long journey because when you have a business degree, you, you have no science background. So I had to start from scratch and take anatomy and physiology one, anatomy and physiology two, biology, uh, organic chemistry, just, I'm just now just naming them. And that, that took, you know, that took, you know, two, two years out of my life to get all of these prerequisites. And it was at that time that I, I, I quit my job and I was fortunate to get another job. And I actually worked at a group home in Maryland. In this group home, I took care of three gentlemen that were developmentally disabled. And what that did was I, I took care of them in the morning and then again when they got home from their placement at night. So that opened up my entire day so I could, one, work out, and two, go back to school. And I, I know you hear people say that you know, they scrub toilets and that they, you know, they worked hard to, to, to make changes. I literally clean toilets as part of my job <laughs> every day. Um, so, again, and I, I, we can all relate to that. We do things that you don't – at the time you don't necessarily think, oh, wow, this is just horrible. But when you reflect on it, you're like, wow, that, that did take a lot of um, – just a, a lot of sacrifice at the time. Yeah, so. yeah it, 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 it's funny you say that because, I, I mean, I remember being back and doing my Ph.D. and, like, looking back now, I'm like, my God, how did I – what was I thinking starting a business while I was doing my Ph.D.? <laughs> as if I didn't have enough stress in my life, you know, but um, it actually has given me a lot of confidence in my life because – uh, as even in undergraduate school, I'd look, I, I, you know, near the end of the semester with like a month left, I'd look at everything I have to do and I go, oh my God, I'm not going to get this done. There's no way I can get this done. And it would get done, you know, and you just do it, you know, and uh, when it's important to you, just make it happen. Yeah. And uh, so over the years of having that done, having that, you know, having that happen, even now I've, I've got stuff from like, there's no way I'm getting all this done. I'll, I'll just look at all my client updates I got to do, plans I got to do. You know, got to record an episode of Physique Science Radio. I got to do a video log, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna get it. And you know, it gets done. It just, it just when it's important to you, make it happen. So, that's really cool. Now, uh, did you act? Did I don't know if you mentioned this? Did you actually end up competing in a show? Like, did you? Uh, where, where did your weightlifting take you? 
Yeah, my, my interest was bodybuilding, and I did one natural show in 1999. I'll never forget it because my posing routine was to Prince's song, 1999. <laughs> <laughs> and That's that was, amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and I knew nothing about dieting. And then you got to remember, 1999, the internet was just, there was yeah. no Lane Norton. There was no Sohi. <laughs> then well I mean, it was but he just you know he was on the internet Google. Yes. yeah so it was um, it just it was a great mile, career, lifetime milestone I think milestone. still in diapers <laughs> I, I, it, probably probably yeah, there's no doubt um, I was in third grade <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> what do we feel? yeah and I was 20 24 years old so yeah did, did the the I do remember I did have a coach. Um, I paid for a one-time session with Dan Duchesne. Do you remember? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. So he, um, of course, I was natural, so I don't know how much his advice was helpful at the time, but um, he helped me with uh, water and glycerol intake. So anyway, that was, um, that was just a great time in my great, just great experience for me to actually step on stage. And it's obviously for the, most of your listeners know just the dedication that it takes to do that. It's yeah very impressive for people that step on stage it's so much i mean it is a lifestyle it's 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 incredible very cool yeah dan duchene that's a that's a blast from the past he was the guru back in the late night because he was pretty much the only guy on the internet that was kind of writing yes. about edgy yes. edgy stuff um now tell us a little bit about your uh going to going to graduate school so you you did a master's and a phd both at baylor um Tell us a little bit about some of the research you did there, what you found, uh, any, and some of the things that were interesting to you. All right, yeah, I started um, at Baylor with my master's degree, and, and my first semester, the best decision I made was to get married to my wife, Jo. She was able to support me through my graduate work. She, she, she handled everything so that I could just focus on school and and. and just doing well academically. So, and, sugar mama. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. There's, there's, yes. No. <laughs> and then, after that great decision, then I started putting my emphasis on the research that I was doing there. And we conducted a study on, which was at the time, the best-selling sports supplement on the market, a nitric oxide supplement. Mm. So we did that at, a, at, a, at a, again, at a very opportune time. And we published the study, and, and we found what we re- what we found in our in our data was it just it was not effective. It did not make people stronger. It did not improve lean muscle mass. It didn't improve endurance performance. It did not improve fat loss. So that was the you know that was eye opening for a lot of people. Um, other research that we did there, we did some resistance training studies. Uh, we did uh, we looked at ribose supplementation. We we looked. At, but you also I assume found nothing with. Correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> ribose did not. Uh, we we. Also, at the time, uh, with you think of Victor Conti, there was one study on ZMA that yeah. was published that found ZMA to be highly you know, effective in improving lean muscle mass. So we did a follow-up study on ZMA, found nothing. Yeah. So I, Victor's may have been had some other things, and I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we, we did not. We weren't able to collaborate that finding with, with a ZMA supplement. And then I, a lot of my research there was within overweight females, and we looked at different diets and re- resistance training and how that could improve their body composition. Very cool. Uh, and, and what did uh, so? What did you uh, find with the, those females? You, uh, any important takeaway points? Yeah, the thing that I still remember to this day is all the women were placed on diets. Every woman engaged in resistance training, and it was the Curves for Women uh, research series. And the research, the, the resistance training that they did was. Uh, kind of a circuit style with 
it wasn't like deadlifts, bench presses. It was circuit-style resistance training. Um, but from a formerly sedentary population, this was still quite an adaptive mechanism for them to, to, to adapt to the, those types of workouts. So what we realized is, or the, the thing that I still remember to this day is, everybody that we put on diets lost weight, which you would expect. But when we increased the protein intake in these overweight females, they had significantly improved body compositions. They maintained lean muscle mass better. They lost more body fat. And again, at the time, that was you know one one of the earlier findings. And now we that's not a surprising finding anymore. Absolutely, and that's uh, been uh, validated by many researchers over Stu Phillips, Dr. Lehman, my advisor. Um, that's that's very interesting. Uh, your your study on nit- on the uh, nitric oxide supplement going going back to that um, so a few interesting points I want to make here uh, one is that uh, that doesn't surprise me about arginine uh, and you actually uh, not only did it not increase muscle mass it didn't inc- did you look at blood flow or no we did we did not yeah so actually Chris Foss uh, one of my good friends who did a really cool study that we discussed last uh, or with the episode of Seek Science Radio with uh, Dr Linicky. Um, where he tracked his actual contest prep. Uh, but anyway, Dr. Foss, great researcher. He's up in Massachusetts now. But uh, when he was in graduate school, he looked at taking, I think it was like 5 to 10 grams of arginine pre and post uh, training and doing sets of, sets of bench press and saw no difference in blood flow, um, which really is it's not a huge surprise to me with my, my background in amino acid metabolism uh, arginine, there's a pretty significant amount of gut extraction of arginine. And so the amount you take in through the diet really doesn't show up in quantitative values in the bloodstream uh, as compared to something like uh, leucine, which has very, very little uh, GI and liver extraction. So that doesn't surprise me a whole lot. Now, there's a few things that if you look through the literature do seem to increase blood flow. Uh, citrulline malate maybe because it's more bioavailable and it, it, it can be recycled to arginine but also there's uh, like there's actually like uh, cocoa cocoa flavonoids and uh, 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 grapeseed extract high level grapeseed extract actually has uh, really uh, good effects on, on nitric oxide that being said I think one of the important things to, to mention is that while if you if you have a if you have low amounts of blood flow like a clinical issue where you have low blood flow you will probably negatively affect muscle mass. Just increasing blood flow does not necessarily mean more muscle mass. I think that's an important point to take away. Um, and people do this. I talked about this with hormones. People, I have people email me all the time. Oh my God, I got my testosterone done. It was 500. Uh, I'm not going to be able to build muscle. It's like, dude, you're normal. What are you worried about? Well, well, the high end's a 1,000. Okay, but there's very little evidence that going from, you know, you know, Doubling in the physiological range of testosterone does not mean double muscle. It is not a linear relationship. In fact, there's very little evidence to suggest even changing in the physiological range makes a difference in muscle mass. So I think that's an important point to take away from that. Um, And and so, but I see people kind of make those leaps, make those jumps. Uh, So I, I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you is how, how was that, kind of changing gears how was that received by that company because i assume they they funded that that study i don't know if this is a privacy thing if we can even talk about it but uh what was their uh takeaway because actually but there was to be fair there was a one positive finding of the supplement right yes yeah there was a significant increase in bench press strength in the group taking the the arginine based supplement 
if you were to ask me, well, what was the physiological mechanism for that? I don't know. Mm. I, I would I, I would say it was probably just an anomaly finding that that because we had leg press strength and that and um, again a bunch of other performance <laughs> variables that were not improved. But the company, I mean, they they got you got to give them credit. They funded the study. We demonstrated it was safe. It just wasn't going to change somebody's physique as much as what maybe a lot of people thought about that particular supplement at the time. Um, so, yeah, I, d I didn't have direct interaction with that. I was a master student, so my mm -hmm. mentor, you know, did all of that. But, right. I mean, I, you give credit to the company for funding it. You give credit to the university and my mentor, Richard Kreider, for publishing the study because, you know, supplement companies don't want to publish negative findings. Um, so it's, it's, it's w one of those things. We reported what we found, and since that time, I, I'm aware of, you know, over 10 studies, and again, in healthy populations – Arginine is just not effective. It doesn't increase nitric oxide. It doesn't increase blood flow. Now, the caveat is if you are diseased, if you have cardiovascular disease, diabetes, arginine does seem to give us those benefits of mm. blood flow, nitric oxide production, but not if you're healthy. It, it's, I have yet to find research to support those statements. Exactly. And that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a big point. And uh, I think it's good that you brought up, you know, I, I think <laughs> – I always find that people say, well, supplement companies need to, they need to validate that their products work. And then the supplement company will fund a study, and maybe it shows a positive effect. People go, well, they funded it, so it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. And it's like, wait, so you guys are literally never happy. Like, you're, you're never happy. If, if they don't fund it, they're scumbags who don't care about it. And if they do fund it, um, they must have somehow altered the, the research. I, I, look, I was my graduate school research was, was paid for in large part by the uh, National Dairy Council and the Egg Nutrition Center. I, at no point in time, did I ever have anybody from either of those uh, come into lab and say anything to me, ever. I never got an email from, I met one person from the Egg Nutrition Center at a co scientific conference for literally five seconds. And it was, Lane, this is such and such, the, the Vice President of the Egg Nutrition Center. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for the support. You're welcome. And, and not they weren't they weren't terse or anything like that. They were just busy. But the, there was never any looking over my shoulder, or anything like. that. Now I'm not saying that never happens, okay? But I think you know, I'm, and I'm not going to say that there's never any bias that creeps into research and that people you know don't are hesitant to publish negative findings and only publish positive stuff that sort of thing. But I think that's more of a researcher thing in that um, some researchers that. What they worry about is if they publish negative findings that supplement companies won't fund that particular lab anymore. So, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's difficult. But, you know, the research has to be done. And I credit that company because you said they were a best-selling product. They obviously didn't need to do it to increase their sales. They actually did genuinely care about whether or not it worked. And this was an experience when I worked at, with Cyvation. Uh, they had a product. I'm not. I'm not going to go too much into it because I, you know, it's very. It's a private thing. But they had a product that they were doing research on that they had spent quite a bit of money on, and it ended up that it just wasn't any better than a, another product that was already available on the market. Um, and they had invested a lot of money in this, and they eventually sat down and said, you know what, we're just not going to bring it out. And they already had labels and they had everything, and they just thought, you know what, we're not going to bring it out. And uh, I remember thinking that really gave me a good opinion of them because, you know, I mean, I think a lot of companies would have said, well, results be damned. And they had the power to, to I think, to revoke or, or 
to tell them not to publish it. I think they had that that power. Um, but they said, no, you know what? We're, we're just not going to do it because we, we can't validate it. So there are good companies out there. And uh, I think if you want to criticize a study, uh, I think criticizing the funding source is kind of lazy, to be honest with you. Um, it's like when people say, well, your study was in rats. And I'll say, okay, well, so give me a reason as to why you would expect these results to not um, be valid then. Okay, now if you can give me a reason, I'll listen to you. But j just saying what well, was done in rats or just saying this is the funding source, that's not a valid uh, – you need to come up with look at the study design. Was the study design bad? That sort of thing. And like for example, yours was uh, – Double-blinded, not even single-blind, double-blind. Can you so can you describe to our listeners real quick kind of the difference and maybe what they might look for in you know good research studies? Yeah, I, I teach sports nutrition to my students, and one of the things we do is or that I make my students do is we evaluate a, re, a sports nutrition research article. So what we have to find is if this is a high-quality sports nutrition research design, it has to be randomized. That means the groups are set randomly. It has to be double blind, so if there's a supplement involved, we the researchers don't know what the subjects are getting, and the subjects don't know what they're getting, and obviously the placebo controlled, so that there that eliminates the psychology aspect of the study. So that that's probably the best advice I can give. That's the very first thing I have my students look at. Um, one is is it randomized? Is it double blind and placebo controlled? That's a that's well, first of all, that's that's the essentials. And then we can get into other, other, you know, you can get a little more intricate in, in analyzing these studies. Very cool. Well, that's very insightful. Um, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back on Physique Science Radio. Hey, guys. One of the things that's always on my mind is how can I give back to the industry that has done so much for me? That's why we formed the BioLane Foundation. The BioLane Foundation is a philanthropic initiative to raise money for grad school level research that is going to contribute to the fitness industry. It is 100% tax deductible and 100% of all your donations will be paid out to students. If you'd like to donate, you can go to BioLane.com, click on the About tab and click on BioLane Foundation and you can put your donation in through there. Or, if you're a student and you'd like to apply for a grant, please go to BioLane.com, click the About tab, click BioLane Foundation, and you can find the applications online there. Thank you guys so much, and I'm looking forward to all the great research that comes from these donations. Hey guys, you know me, and you know I love cooking up macro-friendly option meals. But sometimes when I'm always on the go, that's just not an option. So when I'm on the go or can't cook a meal, I love Quest Bars. You know I love protein and fiber, and these are packed with 20 grams of high-quality protein and super high in fiber. And it's easy to stay on target when you've got Quest Bars that you can bring with you anywhere. They're delicious compared to other bars that taste like bricks and leave you feeling gassy and bloated. So pick up a bar of Quest Bars today at questnutrition.com, GNC, and Vitamin Shop. Also, follow them on Instagram at questnutrition and youtube.com slash questnutrition for great recipe ideas to keep you on your goals but eating delicious. And we're back on Physique Science Radio. 
Uh, and it's funny. So he, we, we always, it never fails between, uh, between segments. We always have the best comments and we'll think about something like, Oh crap. We wanted to ask him that. So you had a really good question. I think some of our listeners will be really interested in that you want to ask Dr. Campbell. Right. And well, now I think about it, I probably should have stopped Dr. Campbell as he was introducing himself as far as your education. And this is a question for me, to be honest, but it's also for the listeners too. And I want to ask about your career change because I know it's not always easy to, you know, go through college with one major and, and, and go on one career path. You said you went, you undergrad was marketing? Yes. Was your major? And then and then you went back, and how old were you when you went back to school? I was in my mid-20s. Um, yeah, mid-20s. See, I feel like that's a that's a really big move, especially after you have a... The job security and the stability and the and the and the expertise with all the you know four years of education in that one field to make that switch. Can you talk to to us more about that and and how hard was that for you? Yeah, it's kind of a, it is an interesting story now that I reflect on it. Yeah. So I had a sales job. I was living in Pennsylvania, and it was a good job. I just did not love killing weeds, <laughs> especially as a you know a twenty four year old. So what I did was I actually took a job at a group home where I took care of developmentally disabled individuals. There were three males in the home, and that allowed me to take care of them in the mornings and the evenings and left my daytimes free. So when people say I was cleaning toilets, and you know, and I was literally cleaning toilets <laughs> to make this career change. While, wow. you know, while, so I could go to school in the afternoons, and I remember taking biology, and, and then I started taking uh, my, my chemistries and... And that was at a time where, but again, at the time, and I'm sure you guys can relate this, you don't think about how hard this is, but when you reflect, it's like, wow, that was a, that, that, took that, some, that sucked. <laughs> not, yeah. That sucked, but it was, you look back and you go, man, how did I do that? That was so overwhelming, but it's just, you just do it. You know? Yes, yes. So I got all the prerequisites I needed. I then started applying to graduate schools, and I was amazed how many graduate schools didn't even return my emails, even though I had all the prerequisites. So that's one thing I try to do a good job of now. If you email me wanting to study with me, I I will return your email and 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 you know just give you any advice that I can. So so I did that for a few years, and then I was very very blessed to be admitted to Baylor University and got to study with Dr. Richard Kreider. And the, the best thing that about that time was I got married right as I started uh, my graduate school. So my wife then basically took care of me. She, she handled everything, and I could focus on school and becoming the best that I could be professionally. Very cool, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I get that. We get that people who email us that have that question oh, yeah. actually about To you and also to me, they always ask about career change and how do you know or how do you make the switch or – um, the the one that you answered, um, the, how do you support yourself financially while you're making the switch? And I think that's a that's a big concern for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, we your coach currently and, and my good friend Paul Ravella yeah. uh, is 39 years old, going back to school. Um, Which is, I think, is amazing. I think it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, I I always look at it this way. Um, um, I, I was I listened to this speech. Uh, pretty much every week by Les Brown called Fear No Evil. and uh, But it's, it's, it's not about good and evil. It's more so about uh, fear is, is what we have in ourselves and what stops us from doing what we really want to do. And he said, um, you know, a lot of times we, we don't take that next step because we, we don't honestly believe it can happen for us and we don't believe we deserve it. And uh, we're just afraid. We're, we're afraid of what, what if I fail? 
And he, one, of, one of the things he said that really struck me was, what's the benefit in that? What is the benefit? So what if you fail? Where, where is, how are you worse off than you were before, right? Because if you did something before, you can always go back to that, you know? And um, that's, <laughs> that's um, my, I remember when I was a teenager, my father, I was very shy around girls. I, I was not good at asking girls out. In fact, by that I mean I never did it. <laughs> if a girl, if I, any girl I dated was a girl who came after me, because uh, I was just scared. I was like, well, what? I have very you know fragile ego and, and very low self esteem, and I was you know, well, what if, what if she says no? And Dad's like, well, let's break this down logically. He's like, if she says, he's like, are you dating her now? And I'm like, no. And if she says no, will you be dating her? No. And if she says yes, will you be dating her? Yes. He's like. <laughs> So where exactly is the, is the problem other than your ego? And it's true. It's, yeah. We kind of – people don't want to take that next step because it is – it's the protection of the ego. Because if we – I think there's so many people out there – I don't mean to go off on a side rant, but I think there's so many people out there that are just afraid to admit that they have a goal because then if they admit it to themselves, they admit it to the world, it's like, what if I fail? Because everybody's watching now, Right. And I think, uh, but I think a little bit of pressure is a good thing. And, uh, you know, again, I look at it as like, you know what? You only get one life. Uh, the, the worst thing in the world that I can think of would to be, be on your deathbed and say, I wish I would have. I wish I would have. I wish yeah. I would have. Yeah. Um, Greg Plitt, who's, uh, who we, we may not agree with his nutritional well, advice. We just met him but, two weeks ago in LA. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, he had a, he had a he I don't know if it was his quote, but he he in one of his videos he said, "I failed is ten times the man of what if because what if never even went to the arena." So huh. I love that quote. I think powerful. that's it is powerful. It's very motivational. It it but it's very true. Mm-hmm. I mean, so to our listeners out there, not to go off on a big side rant, but if if you're passionate about this or, or anything in your life, we highly encourage you to pursue that. Okay, and a lot of times we don't know what the next step is, but you know what? Sometimes you just start stepping, and you'll find your way. Yeah. Okay. And on that note, actually, I do want to recommend two books uh, because I'm a big book person. One, on if you're struggling with facing obstacles and and, and making change and fear of failure and fear of risk, um, you know, if you're considering a career change or anything, or especially especially in the entrepreneurial world, and we know how hard that mm-hmm. can be. And I know I I have some friends who are facing the same struggles. With, with not fearing the criticism and the feedback, but um, you should definitely read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And it talks about this thing called resistance, which is what we all face. He calls it resistance. And it's, it's everything from finding the perfect excuse not to do the one thing that you know you should do. You know, if I have an article to write, then, oh, but I have to do my dishes. Oh, I have to get my oil changed in my car. Like, you always find an excuse to not do what you know that you love to do because it's scary. Um, and so it talks about that. It's a really quick read. It's just one, one night. Um, and the next one I'm reading right now, it's called The Obstacle is the Way by, by Ryan Holiday. And it talks about how the struggle and the obstacles are actually should be a good thing. Lean into the struggle. Really great. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll close with one, th- with one thing on, on that thought. And that's um, two quotes by myself because, you know, I'm an expert <laughs> myself. on myself. <laughs> how arrogant is that, right? Um, but I, I say, you know, the, 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 the path of least resistance leads to one destination and one destination only, and that is the land of mediocrity, okay? It, it, take the path less traveled um, or blaze your own path even better. Um, and uh, 
I forgot what the other quote is, so we're just going to skip is it. Is it, do not feel fear failure. Don't fear failure, fear mediocrity, you know. <laughs> um, Dave Ramsey said, the enemy of the best is not the worst. It's average. It's okay. Huh. Because that's safe. Um, and, and then I'll get people to say, Lane, well, Lane, you know, there's got to be average people. You can't have everybody be excellent. Not, not, and I, I say, yeah, you're, you're right. But trust, there's always going to be plenty of those. It doesn't give you an excuse to right. be one. There's no excuse not, that's not an excuse to not try. Exactly, exactly. So anyways, that's our little five-minute motivational <laughs> segment. <laughs> so, but we really have some science questions we want to ask Dr. Campbell. Um, Dr. Campbell, you gave a really cool speech at our, our VIP camp this past summer where you talked about meal frequency. And its effects on body composition, and so let's 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 start with two kind of aspects. I guess there's three aspects to it. Uh, one, does it affect fat loss, meal frequency? Two, would it affect muscle gain? And three, do we see any overall effects in terms of body composition, performance, that sort of thing? So I'd love to hear your thoughts and kind of summarize the research for us. Sure, um, and. Before I do that, let me just say how fun the camp was, and I'm looking so forward to coming back next summer. That was, yeah, it was, great. It was a, just a fantastic week. Um, I, my wife, I think I told you guys this before, she just said, stop telling me about <laughs> this camp. It was, it was just, just being in that environment with, with so many just unbelievable people. But, um, but yeah, so the mule frequency, it's an area that we wrote a position stand for the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition probably about four years ago now. And going into that research, I believed and taught my students that eating six times per day is, that's, that's what we need to do, because that's what, the, what I thought the science told us. <laughs> you need to eat every two to three hours. Well, because at the time, that was the known fact, right? Yes, unquote, that was the, yes, the yep. fitness yeah. fact. You just do this. Right. And the answers were given were typically, well, we'll increase the, your metabolic furnace. So I walked <laughs> into writing this position stand and I hate to say this, but I was biased. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to find a lot of science to find to support that. But when I sat down and tried to find all the science, not only did I find studies that didn't support it, there was just no evidence to support it. Now, we do have to be clear, the limitation of the research that I found, and I limited my research to studies conducted in humans where they actually had a meal frequency intervention, meaning that one group had 10 meals, the other group had five, or one had 15, the other had three. And I, there were surprisingly about seven or eight studies in humans that, that actually did investigate that. But the one thing that is lacking that we need to state up front, these were not people that were resistance training, these were not athletes. So the population were sedentary or overweight population. So that's what we have to work with. So let's make sure that we, when we extrapolate that, we have to keep that in the back of our minds. Now, now one thing I'll, I'll add in, so I'll, I'll just throw in a quick question. Do you see any reason why you would think resistance training might change the outcomes of this? Yeah, I think it would, would have definitely introduced another variable that would need to be considered. Just to rehash, and I made this point, but the, the studies were all done in sedentary people who were not exercising. So if you are more advanced in your training and your physique aspirations, I think that, yes, you, you, you want to make sure you get at least a minimal amount of, of meals or this protein feeding, protein bolus throughout the day. And if I had to guess what that is, that's probably about four times. I don't think five would hurt anybody. Um, if you're eating once or twice a day, Again, you're not maximizing muscle protein synthesize, or you're not maximizing muscle protein synthesis as much as you could. So yes, I, I do think that resistance training would 
force us to consider some other some other issues. And obviously, if you're resistance training, you're, you're probably having different goals in your physique as well. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, you know, we we looked at um, kind of protein intake and and does it make a difference in terms of frequency? And, and we saw yes uh, in terms of uh, muscle mass, not in terms of uh, body composition was actually still the same between groups, but muscle mass was different. So they still had the same body fat percentage, but they had greater muscle mass in, in groups that were – so we, we either fed you know kind of three good-sized protein meals or only one really big protein meal and two low-protein meals with total protein intake being the same, and we saw those differences. Now, they weren't huge differences. We're talking about 8% muscle, muscle weight difference in calf, calf muscles uh, of the rats, but – you know, it, it that may be a difference for some people that's that's important to them. Uh, for some people, that may not matter. Um, and Dr. Stu Phillips kind of had had similar findings in that uh, he looked at feeding over twelve power twelve hour period, either two meals, four meals, or eight meals. Found that two meals weren't optimal, and eight meals weren't optimal. That four meals were optimal. And also, that's kind of in line with. Uh, was it for the ISSN that Brad Schoenfeld and Alan Argon wrote that review? Yes, yes, uh, a systematic review on yeah nutrient timing, protein timing. Yes. Yeah, and their 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 kind of conclusion was was pretty similar. That I think they landed on four or five meals per day as kind of a a, a, a theoretical optimal timing. Yes, I believe I believe so. Right. So I, I think I think the I'll default to Dr. Jeremy Linicky, who <laughs> who always I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sell you this. I don't care if you do it. <laughs> do what you want to do. But, um, you know, we're, we're not trying to sell you on a, on a certain meal frequency. What we're, what we're trying to say is um, the data seems to say that, you know, as long as controlling calories, protein, carbs, and fats for your daily intake is by far the most important thing. Now, I think it's okay to start talking about meal frequency, but I see people who – they don't even track their macronutrient intake and they're worried about getting eight meals in a day. Right. And it's like, that's, that's so, that's so far, you know, gone. That's like only, that's like making $20,000 a year and you're going to invest $5 and you're agonizing over which stock to invest it in. Okay. <laughs> you, you need to worry about getting your total income up before you worry about right. like the minuscule, you know, return you might get out of even a really good stock. Right. So it's, it's all, you know, I talk about the higher, we talk about the hierarchy of what's important a lot and consistency, hard work yeah. are number one. Below that, training-wise, properly periodized training program and consistency, and, and then below that, hitting your daily macronutrient intake, right? And then there's other things below that that may still have some importance. Meal frequency may have some importance, all right? May have some importance in terms of muscle mass. But it's, it's that's, what I'll get is I'll get some people, well, this guy only eats one meal a day, and look, he, he gained this much muscle. We, I'm not saying you can't gain muscle eating one or two meals a day. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about will it be as optimal as eating maybe four or five? The data suggests probably not. But again, it, it depends on how much sacrifice you're willing to make for that lifestyle. And I don't make judgments on that, right? So if somebody says, hey, I love bodybuilding, but I don't make a living from it. You know, um, I, I only want to eat two, three times a day because that's convenient for my lifestyle. I still enjoy this as a hobby. That's fine. Uh, you know, 
there are other people out there who may make ethical judgments about you, uh, as we found out. Um, but uh, we're certainly not going to. And uh, so as, as Dr. Jeremy Lennox says, do what you want. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's what I think we would recommend in terms of meal frequency. So yeah. um, would you guys kind of agree with that? Yeah, you know, I do. And, you know, that's really great because when it comes to my clients and, you know, most of them are fat loss clients and I tell them, here, you know, I give them their macros and I give them nutrition guidelines. I say, here's how you can eat. Here's what the research says is considered as optimal, quote unquote optimal. But I also say, but at the end of the day, if this does not work for you, if this does not work for your personal preference or your lifestyle, then don't follow it. Then just as long as you're hitting your macros, that's all I really care about at the end of the day. But find whatever way of eating that works for you. If you want to have your all your carbs in the evening, then do that. If you want to have it all in the morning, do that. Whatever makes you feel your best and allows you to be consistent day in and day out, do that. Yeah, it's kind of like um, I kind of liken that to to when you're writing a scientific paper, that you always have to qualify your research in terms of here are the limitations, here's what this means, et cetera, et cetera. So I f I feel like you got to qualify recommendations, right? So. I do the same thing. Somebody said, like, like, uh, I, I know it says I should get 35 grams of carbs pre-workout, but I only got, I only got 25. I remember, like, <laughs> but that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Hit your daily numbers, okay? Like that's, it's not a big, it's not a huge deal, okay? Now, if you're hitting your daily numbers and you're, you know, let's say you're at home and you have time to plan everything out and you can do those kind of specific little things, that's great. But that's the last two, three percent. Right. You know what I mean? Don't don't miss the forest through the trees. I think that's what we're trying to say. Mm -hmm. Yep, I, I completely agree. So as Dr. Lenicky would say, do what you want. <laughs> okay, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and we will come back. We're on Physique Science Radio. Hey, guys, Lane here. Well, you all know how much I love variety in my diet. I can't stand eating the same bland food every single day. That's why I love www.myoatmeal.com. It's an amazing website where you can go and customize oatmeal. I know, I know, I know. Why would I want to go customize oatmeal? I can eat it right out of the bag. Well, let me tell you why. Myoatmeal.com has 22 billion combinations of flavors and ingredients. You heard me right, 22 billion combinations. Whether you're picking out a pre-made blend or making your own customized blend, they have all kinds of flavors. Want red velvet cake? No problem. Snickerdoodle? You can make it happen. Butter rum? Oh yeah. Cheesecake? You can get it done. And you have all kinds of additives you can add. Apples, raisins, pears, nuts, all kinds of seeds, and you can sweeten it any way you want. Need to eat gluten-free? No problem. They've got it. The best part of it all? The macros are listed as you're customizing your blend, and they change depending on which ingredients you add. Eating a little bit lower carb? No problem. Choose ingredients that make your carb count lower. Need more protein? Add higher protein ingredients. You can customize your blend to make it almost any breakdown that you want. And the prices and macros change as you change your blend. So go on over to www.myoatmeal.com and check out some of the blends that have already been made. Or be adventurous and make your own. That's myoatmeal.com. Check it out, guys. 
You're listening to Physique Science Radio with Lane Norton and Sohee Lee. If you like what you hear and you'd like to learn more about us and read some of our articles, please visit my website at www.biolane.com and Sohee's website at soheefit.com. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening and hope to hear more from you in the future. Hey guys, many of you out there know I spend a lot of time bagging on bad coaches. And certainly, there's more than enough of those to go around. But a lot of times people ask me who I do recommend. Well, one person we can recommend wholeheartedly is Paul Ravella of Pro Physique. Paul has received more referrals from me over the last two years than any other coach, and with good reason. Paul is competent, professional, caring, and carries himself with a lot of integrity. If you hire Paul, you're going to be getting the very best at a great value. Paul is also one of my closest personal friends, and I can say with absolute certainty I feel 100% comfortable with referring my closest friends and family to him, because I've done that. Paul Ravella of ProPhysique.com. Check him out, guys. We're back on Physique Science Radio. I'm your host, Lane Norton, with your co-host, Sohi Lee, and our guest, Dr. Bill Campbell. Uh, and we were talking about mill frequency, and I think we've kind of hit on all the points, but if you, you wouldn't mind summarizing... Um, your thoughts on meal frequency and so has it changed has it actually let me ask you has it changed the way you eat yes it has i used to be the guy who would try, if i didn't eat six times per day having protein at each meal i'd feel a little bad about myself um after getting the research or you know reviewing the research now i typically eat two sometimes three you know maybe four times per day so yes, I don't see the um, the and again this is still knowing all of the that, that the limitations were on sedentary people. If I were going going to compete in a show, I would strive to get four times four boluses of protein per day. That would be my goal. So when I eat two or three times per day, I I'm probably saying yes, I'm not maximizing my protein synthesis today, but I'm at a place professionally right now where that's not my number one priority. Right. So, but it has changed my, my eating and definitely has changed the way I teach my students and, and anybody that's emailing me for advice. I mean, if, if you are sedentary, it makes no difference if you're eating 20 times or four <laughs> times or seven times. That data is pretty clear. And don't think that it's going to increase your metabolic rate because that has been put to rest as well. Uh, before I ask my next question, I just want to make a comment. I find it so amusing that you used the word protein bolus because I remember at VIP camp, Dr. Abby Smith-Ryan was giving her talk and she kept saying protein bolus, protein bolus. And to me, I was sitting there like, that is such an awkward word. <laughs> it's a scientific but word. I think, yeah, but from the scientific viewpoint, yeah. that's very normal. But um, can you clarify maybe what Bolus, 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 bolus. <laughs> I was like, bolus, wow. <laughs> Who uses that word? <laughs> do, you mean, do you mean like a, you know, make like 25 grams minimum kind of deal? Yeah. Yeah, what I mean, and let me take it even more technical, and, and, and I, I attribute Lane to popularizing this to the fitness industry, but it really boils down to leucine, mm-hmm. and it's getting enough leucine at every protein intake. So uh, the research that I've done, and I, I have this in, in, in my latest sports nutrition book, just summarizing the human studies, it came to about 20 to 45 milligrams 
per kilogram of body mass of leucine. Lane, what do you always say, which is so much easier? Um, for I think for the, for the for the average person, three grams per day is uh, three grams at a meal is going to maximize muscle protein synthesis. You know, if you're 275 pounds of lean body mass, maybe you're going to need a little bit more. Okay, but if you're if you're under, uh, you know, if you're under 100 100 kilos and under, three grams of leucine is going to do the trick. And so, you know, depending on your protein source, that will change uh, how much you require. Yeah. So. You know, like something like whey may only be 25, 30 grams, but something like, you know, chicken, you may be 35, 40 grams. So um, the, 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 the source of protein you choose is going to kind of uh, dictate how much you'll need to get from leucine. Now, I, what I always tell people too, the old rule, one gram per pound of body weight, if you get that, you're going to hit your leucine thresholds. Um, no question about it. And if you're using, you know, Animal sources of protein, right. you're, you're going to be hitting your thresholds. Uh, the, the, the caveat is people who are vegetarians, that sort of thing, maybe have a little bit more trouble getting those. And that's where, you know, if you're getting a supplemental leucine or branch chains, that might be uh, something helpful for them. But, uh, yeah, you know, three grams of leucine in a meal is going to do the trick and one gram per pro protein per pound of body weight per day. Which leads me to my next question. I'm sure a lot of us are wondering Speaking of meal frequency, what are your thoughts on intermittent fasting? And uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and I'll just qualify that. Intermittent fasting typically is, as I understand it, is you fast for 16 to 20 hours, then you eat all your all your food within a four to eight hour period, four to eight hour period. Yeah, I, I don't have a strong opinion on intermittent fasting simply because I haven't taken the time yet to study all the literature that's out there. What I would say is, and, and, I, and I'll take this back to your camp, Lane, one of the best things, um, hearing you speak so, he, mm -hmm. hearing some of the other speakers, was just the psychology of how we approach right. eating. So from that perspective, if somebody wants to live a intermittent fasting lifestyle, and that's going to keep them consistent day in and day out, do that. Mm -hmm. yep. If you're going to try to you know, eat you know, five times per day because that's what you think you need to do and if you're just going to struggle and feel bad and fall off the wagon, well, then probably don't do that. And again, that is not my research area, but man, that was a powerful theme of your camp that, that I just loved. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I don't want to say I have no comment. I just don't, I don't have a strong opinion on intermittent fasting. Yeah, but I think we we could agree that for fat loss, it doesn't seem like intermittent. It's going to be it's going to be fine for fat loss, that sort of thing. And I, I would agree with you. You know, we Sohi and I talk about the consistency is the number one important oh, thing, yeah. the most important thing. Um, I, I think I got we talked about this. I got in trouble a little bit a while back from the yeah, from the intermittent the Church of Intermittent Fasting got a little bit uh, upset with me. Um, <laughs> Because it's so funny how that happened too. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was a pretty innocuous statement, but I thought, so too. I, thought I thought it was a great statement. I didn't think it was attacking anybody or anything. Yeah, but but the Church of Intermittent Fasting got upset with me. What and, was the uh, statement? Uh, so my statement was it was an article for Sohi, and the article's name <laughs> That's was how we got connected. Is intermittent <laughs> fasting for you? Right. And the funny thing is, Sohi, you got quite a bit of hate for it too, and yeah, you basically well, intermittent fast. I I do, and actually, and they they completely misinterpreted the article because. The whole article was, here are indications and contraindications, which does not mean pros and cons. It's not yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and, and so what I said was, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fine for fat loss. And exactly what Dr. Campbell said, if, if that's a lifestyle that you can stick to and it fits your daily lifestyle better and you can be consistent with it, then by all means do that. 
Um, now, it's, it, one of the two things that I thought I was a little bit concerned about was one, if you're a bodybuilder, it, it probably is not optimal for muscle mass based on the research that we've discussed. Um, and two, um, I see some people that kind of use intermittent fasting as an excuse to binge eat, right? So they'll, they'll, they'll push it even a little further. They'll go, well, I'm not going to eat for 23 hours, and I'm just going to have a well, feast for that and, one hour. And that's what happened to me when I first tried it two and a half years ago. It started out great, and then eventually just very gradually I started uh, fasting a little bit longer and feeding a little bit bigger and – I actually put on weight. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Did not work out. Right. And so because if you get to the point where you're, where you're, I mean, having to eat so much in an hour, eventually what happens is you kind of stop tracking it, at least in my opinion. Yeah. You just kind of eat whatever yeah. you can. So, I mean, again, and that's not necessarily anything that's that's a inherent problem with intermittent fasting. It's just that some, some things are going to be better for some people in terms of, of how they work. Right. But I will tell you, you know, it's, it's the same thing with carb backloading. People ask me about carb backloading. I'm like, look, I, I just don't think there's anything magic about eating carbs at night. I also, I also candidly think it's funny that we, for a long time, it was don't eat any carbs after six. And now it's like eat all your carbs after six, right? But, I mean, essentially, that's what I do is I carb backload because I train near the evening. So I eat most of my carbs in the evenings. And that's just because of what I like to do. So, um, you know, I don't hate carb backloading. People, we were talking about this. People said, well, like, you, you hate intermittent fasting. <laughs> I don't hate it. I just, you know, there's pros and cons or, or pluses and minuses. And like you said, contraindications, and they need to be understood. So, again, if that's something that fits your lifestyle and you enjoy that, then by all means do that. We, we have no problem with that. And, Lane, do you have clients who voluntarily intermittent fast? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I have not many, but I have a couple who say, you know what, this this just fits my lifestyle a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'll tell them is like, well, if, if you can get a couple of other protein doses a day, um, let's do that. You know, take a whey shake with you or something like that. But, you know, if you want to intermittent carb restrict or, or, or whatever it is, that's totally fine. You know, and uh, and because I think most people can, you know, take a whey protein shake or something and just down it real quick, and it's not going to negatively impact their lifestyle. But even if that gets to the point where that's too much of a hassle, then I'd, I, you know, I'd rather them be compliant than, than feel like they're failing. So uh, now, Dr. Campbell, I know you've got some interesting research uh, going on currently. Can you talk to us about some of the research that you're, you're currently doing right now? Because I think our listeners, especially competitors, will be really interested in it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, well... The one we're, we got about two studies that we're completing now. We got three planned for next year, and we're I'm actually assisting in a research study now, which Sophie could um, maybe enlighten us a little bit about. But I'm assisting Eric Trexler and Dr. Abby Smith Ryan from University of North Carolina, and they've come up with just a brilliant idea of getting dietary information on competing physique athletes and. That's, that's just powerful data because the way that they're approaching this has not been done before. So they're looking at their body composition, lean muscle mass, hunger hormones prior to a competition, immediately after a competition, and then four to six weeks down the road. So again, we're looking at diet logs, body composition, metabolic rate. So again, they're, and, and, and I'm just happy to be involved in that. And my two graduate students, Lauren Conlon and Nick Joy, have been instrumental in helping us collect all this data that we're getting fr- from this study. So we're actually um, using a lot of the competitors from Paul Revelia's show this weekend as they're coming into town. So it's just very exciting to get that research out there because, as we all know, research on the physique athlete is almost non-existent. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, what are the? Do you mind discussing some of the the parameters you're you're going to measure and some of the things you're looking for? And uh, do you have any hypothesis, or is it just kind of you're going to sit back and 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 see what you find? Yeah, like I said, my our primary role, Lawrence Nixon, mine is basically in support. So we didn't design the study. So Dr. Abby Smith Ryan and Eric Trexler are they want to look at how how the refeeding period after a show how is that gonna be and we're gonna track that after like four to six weeks so the the different theories could abound and i know you guys talk about this a lot with you know with reverse dieting but we're just we're tracking ghrelin leptin testosterone cortisol all of, all of the physiological markers and then what i would call you know the the, the more applied markers of metabolism so what you would expect is a dieting physique athlete, their metabolism should be pretty low or suppressed mm-hmm. coming into a show. Then six weeks later, after you've had a period of refeeding, we would expect the metabolic rate to be back to normal or you know elevated. So again, in physique athletes, I'm not sure this has been done before. So that, that's what I would expect to happen, and we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting uh, – because you, you can kind of look at people and see, okay, what's their intake? You know, how much fat do they put on? That sort of thing and, and see. I think it's going to be cool. I think this study will end up spawning three or four other studies because it's going to give a lot of neat ideas about what to do with the data. Yes, I, I agree. So he, you, you actually uh, – so I guess uh, can you talk about it because you yeah. are actually a test subject in I this am. study. Well, I was emailed actually just earlier this week on a Monday, and it's Friday right now, as we're recording this, by Eric Trexler, and he said, hey, we're looking for participants for the study that we're doing for bodybuilding fetters. This should be your final show of the season. And I said, oh, hey, guess what? This is, um, I'm surprised I'm competing <laughs> uh, tomorrow at uh, Paul Ravella's uh, OCB show that no one knew about. Well, so my- every, everyone wish Sohi best of luck, even though by this time she will have competed and stepped yeah, off stage. So you know, everyone should know by now, by the time this comes out, but it was a ghost, ghost prep. Anyway, so uh, I came down here, and uh, this morning at 7 a.m., I met Dr. Campbell, and I got all the tests done. I got body comp analysis, body fat analysis, and RMR, and... Um, took the saliva test, which I'm assuming tracks the ghrelin and the leptin and everything. Yes. Yep. So uh, we don't have, well, we have my body fat and everything now. And your muscle cross-sectional yeah, area. Yeah, but we don't have saliva tests. But anyway, it, it's, I think it's a huge deal, I feel like, uh, to be a part of, of this study in any way that I can contribute, I think would be, um, I would, you know, anything that I can do. Plus, it just, it just makes sense that I'm down here this weekend. Why not? Why not help out? Absolutely, trying to trying to kill multiple birds with one yeah. stone. The, the, I did run into a one problem with Sohi. I had her step on the scale as, as the first step, and her her engagement ring was so large we had to say, "Take that off." That's going to impact every measure we do the rest of the day. Nice job, Evan. <laughs> so um, we had a really good time having having Dr. Campbell on the show, and I think you got some really cool research that's coming up, and I, I we love that you know you're very interested in. Looking at uh, physique athletes, you know, there's just not enough of that research out there. You know, it's not. I always tell people like, look, it's it's like what we do with the Biolane Foundation, trying to raise money for these this sort of research. And you know, we talked about Eric Trexler, who was the first winner of the Biolane Foundation grant. Um, and uh, you know, I always say, look, it's it's not curing cancer, but there's enough people who do 
uh, physique competitions, and a lot of people do it really unhealthily and uh, negatively impacts their, their quality of life. And so the, I would say the main goal is to, to find a way to make physique competition more fun and healthier and, uh, and be more sustainable for people. So uh, we're really looking forward to this, this data that's coming out. Uh, so Dr. Campbell, uh, can you tell us a little bit more how if people are interested in being part of your lab or taking classes at USF, how they can get in touch with you? Um, also, some more you mentioned some other projects you're involved with. And just anything else you'd like to plug or people you'd like to thank? Sure, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, we have a master's program and an undergraduate program in exercise science. Um, our graduate program has two different tracks, strength and conditioning, and a health and wellness track. And if you're interested, just email me. My email is bcampbell at usf.edu. And our research really focuses on two things, performance and physique. That's the name of my lab. It's the Performance and Physique Enhancement Laboratory. So we do that through two main, two main outposts, resistance training and nutrition intake, but primarily protein intake, and then also targeted sports supplements. So that's, that's kind of what we do on a daily basis. I'm also starting a line in female physique enhancement, so I want to try to do a little bit more with females, just because I haven't done that in the past, and it's an area that, that I think the females seem to be so much more compliant with their training and diet, so that's... Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Men, step your game up. <laughs> so that's an area that's excited me. And, and on that front, we're going to start a study in the spring. Another uh, graduate student of mine, Tanya Davis-Miller, will be looking at in females only. And I, this is a powerful study because everybody has this question. Is resistance training prior to cardio training, is that better for fat loss? Mm. Or is cardio first followed by resistance training second? Mm. Is that superior? We do have some data, but it's all acute where we look at like fat oxidation for two or three hours following. I'm not aware of many studies that have looked at track this over an eight-week period. So that's what we're going to do. And, and unfortunately, the cardio is more of the endurance-based, but that's, that's where we're going to start. And then the follow-up, will be, we can do then some high-intensity interval or some hit, hit training with the resistance training. Uh, the other study that we're just finishing up, uh, one of my other graduate students, Ryan Calhoun, is looking at, a, and this will be a Dr. Zordos approved, a daily undulating periodization study. We have, we're almost done with this, so we're really excited to look at the data. But one group is And told, you're, you're actually involved in this study, right? I, I you're finished the study. I gained three pounds of, no, four pounds of lean body mass and wow. lost a pound of body fat wow. over an eight-week period. So. Yeah, I'm the old man in the study. I still, <laughs> I still hit the age recruitment. But this, this is a fascinating design. One group is told to, and this is a powerlifting study, so you're squatting three days a week, you're deadlifting and bench pressing two to three times per week. Very, very powerlifting focused. But one group is told you'll do the power workout on Wednesday, the strength on Monday, and the hypertrophy Friday. The other group gets to choose what they want to do on, on any day of the week or, mm. or on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So th the question is, if you get to choose what you want to do on any given day, depending on how you feel, do you seem to perform better over an eight-week period? So that's, and I don't, I think the answer is going to be we're not going to expect any differences in the groups, but that's pretty powerful in and of itself because if you can choose, why not choose your workout? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I guess if I was going to do kind of hypothesizing, my only difference might be. Maybe you get a little bit more volume in with the with uh, being able to choose because if you be able to do more on days you feel better, maybe yeah. maybe it's a little more bit better. Yeah, we're tracking volume, so yes. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to find out. 
Uh, and then you wanted to also uh, discuss uh, another project of yours, the ISSN. Yes, yeah, the, the International Society of Sports Nutrition. I currently am, am blessed to serve as the president of this organization. And I just wanted to let everybody know that the, their, their national conference is going to be held in Austin this year. It's going to be June 11th, 12th, and 13th. We're having a, a great uh, symposium on the first day, the Thursday, that is actually uh, kind of um, been popularized by Lane, which is like the physique science. So how can we change our bodies through diet and exercise? We just have a great host of speakers uh, throughout the conference. So, And there's all kinds of regional conferences with the International Society of Sports Nutrition. And I, I'm, I've been involved with that organization since its founding. And I, I love it because it's the one organization, kind of like the NSCA. The NSCA is, and every organization has its problems, but the NSCA focuses on what I love, resistance training. The ISSN focuses on sports nutrition, so you, they, they, they're just a great academic society to contribute to the science of sports nutrition. So if anybody has a desire, their conferences are great, they're fun, they're not your typical stuffy academic conference. <laughs> you actually, like Lane has been there, and you can actually talk to Lane. When you go to a lot of these other conferences, mm -hmm. the, the speakers are in, they're out, they're, they're not really engaged in or, or necessarily want to talk to the attendees. It, it is a different vibe at these conferences. It's it's phenomenal. But so, yeah, thank you. Is that conference open to everyone, or do you have to be a member of the ISSN? No, it's open to everybody. Um, it's Again, and this year it's in Austin. Next year I believe it will be in Clearwater, Florida. And, and there are um, several regional conferences as well. So, yeah, but it's open to anybody who has an interest in sports nutrition, resistance training, and just looking and performing better. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I've been to, to, to multiple uh, ISSN conferences, and, and, you know, they're small as far as scientific conferences go, but, you know, it's very focused on stuff our listeners might be interested in, um, you know, and, and uh, like you said, you can talk to the speakers, that sort of thing. I probably spent, I was there for three hours, I probably spent the whole time talking to people, so <laughs> um, I won't be in Austin this year. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm going to be competing at the IPF World Championships in powerlifting. Uh, but I will absolutely be at the, the following year in Clearwater for sure. And I'm uh, looking forward to doing uh, a lot more stuff with uh, Dr. Campbell's lab because we need these, this sort of research done. And I know it's what you guys are interested in. And, you know, I'm sure he'd love to hear ideas from grad students out there. And uh, if you're interested in becoming part of his lab, please email him. Uh, Bill's a great guy. And uh, we really appreciate him having him on the show. You, he was a great guest. And, uh, I think we have to have Mon again in the future sometime. Oh, yeah, that was great. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you, Dr. Campbell. Thank you. All right, guys, that was it for Physique Science Radio this week. We'll see you guys again next time.